0: On Tuesday of this week, the Drew Clark uh, Memorial Golf Tournament takes place, and I would just like you, if you're not uh, golfing or uh, participating in that particular fundraiser, to just keep that in prayer this week and uh, and its effectiveness and just the good things that will come out of it. So if, if, you, uh, if you have absolutely nothing else to pray about, which I know you do, then I would love for you to think about the Drew Clark Memorial Golf Tournament this Tuesday and just... Uh, Ask God to bless it and the, uh, and the people that are involved. I'm not an expert on rivers, I'm not a geographer or a hydrographer or whatever you would call that, somebody who focuses on such things. But twice I have noted in rivers with which I've been acquainted a phenomenon. And the phenomenon is that sometimes right at the bend of a river, there's a big pool. And so I can recall standing in the Nitnat River in the driving rain with salmon swimming around my feet big salmon standing uh very much like this actually kind of on the like even though I'm in the river there was a drop off right in front of me in the the river I was looking uh downstream toward the ocean and uh and in front of me was a huge pool and so what was happening was that the, the salmon were swimming up the river and right as they got to this bend in the river, there was a gigantic hole. Like as, like I would say that the hole in the river, uh, this, this big deep spot, this deep pool, was as big as our auditorium. So I'm standing in the river and right in front of me is this big pool and the river's kind of coming this way and then turning and coming right at me. And there were thousands of salmon in that river right at the point where that pool was. And it just... On that side, the water was two feet deep, and where I was standing, the water was a foot and a half deep, but in front of me, it was 25 feet deep. and just emptied into this pool, and that's where all the salmon were, waiting for the water to get deep enough so that they could come upstream. And so we were casting into that pool for these salmon. The other incident is, if you've ever been to and Road Bible Camp on the island, which is a camp owned by Churches of Christ, there there is a swimming hole there that is just everybody needs to experience at some point in their life. And it's right at the bend of a river where the river comes out from behind some rocks and takes a turn. And right where all these rocks are, it must be it must be 50 feet deep. Like you can't see the bottom or anything. And people jump off rocks that are as high as this roof into that pool and never even come close to hitting the bottom. Now, as you come out of the pool, and, and if, again, you're standing here, like the, the river is only two feet deep or three feet deep. But right there in front of you, it's 45 feet deep or whatever it is. So it's interesting that that pool takes place. Well, my impression is that there are places in Scripture that are like that. Where the the streams of water from the Lord flow along, but sometimes there's this bend in the river, and all of a sudden, God just blows you away with his depth. And it's like these passages kind of assemblage together in these wonderful spots. Like, for example, if, if I say the words, Sermon on the Mount, everybody knows that we're talking about some profound, deep teaching of Jesus that all of a sudden just come together in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They're just there. Or, if we were to talk about the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, you read the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, and it's like a feast. And you just say, this is a deep Deep pool. Well, my impression is that there is one of those deep pools that just comes along in the stream of God's revelation of himself in Scripture where he's giving information about himself and then suddenly it gets profound. In John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. And I want you to turn to John chapter 17 this morning. I think it's on page 766 in the Pew Bible. So if you grab a Pew Bible page seven hundred and sixty six John chapter seventeen and what 's been happening is that Jesus is preparing not only to die himself to go and die but he 's preparing his apostles for his departure and so in John chapter fourteen fifteen and sixteen he is talking about all the things that he wants them to know, and he talks about the Holy Spirit and how central the Holy Spirit is to the coming to, of uh, to the coming uh, into the world and the way that the spirit is going to minister in the church. He talks about keeping commandments and truth and how we need to, to preserve God's word and commands and live those out. He talks about his relationship to his father in 14, 15 and 16 and what it's like to be the son of God in relation with the spirit and with the father He talks about some deep, deep things in John 14, 15 and 16. And then In John 17, it's like the pool gets deeper. Because now Jesus isn't just talking about things. He is talking to his Father. And John 17 is this lengthy prayer. It's the longest prayer in Scripture that we have from the mouth of Jesus. And in John 17, Jesus says profound, profound things. Some of my favorite verses... Are in John 17, verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is eternal life, he says. In verse 5, he talks about how he is preparing to go and be with the Father. And he wants to have the glory restored to him that he says, Was with you, Father, before the world began. Oh, what a great line. And now I want you to look. There's a couple of verses we're going to kind of focus on here in John 17. I want you to look at verse 11. You can turn this on if you'd like now. Thanks, Glenn. I want you to look at verse 11. and It simply says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. And then look over at verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You can go back to the first slide, Glenn. Jesus is talking here about the fact that he is not going to stay, but going to go. And then he says that his disciples are also not of this world in the way that he is not of this world. In verse 11, it says that we're in the world, but it makes it so clear in verse 16, we are not of the world. And it is a profound statement that Jesus mentions here. And a major element, I think, of this magnificent prayer of his in trying to describe our relationship to God and to the world and say that we are in the world, but we are not of it. So that's the first point from John 17. We are in the world, but not of the world, just as he was in the world, but not of the world. It's so wonderful that Jesus prays specifically about you and me and the fact that we are not of this world. In fact, if you look at your outline, we're into that now. The first couple of points on the outline. The first one is we're not in the world, but not of the world. We are in the world, but not of the world, just as he was in the world, but not of the world. The second one on the outline in the next slide is Jesus prayed specifically about you and me and the fact that we are not of this world. Isn't it striking that Jesus is about to die? He spends chapter 14, 15, and 16 talking about the most important things that he wants his apostles to know. And then in John 17, he focuses on the fact that we are in this world but not of it. And then prays specifically, it says, about you and me. He says, I'm not praying just for everybody or for anybody. I'm praying specifically for those who've heard my word that you have given me and I want to pray for them because they're still in the world even though they're not of the world. It was on his mind and he knew that we were going to have to struggle and wrestle with this concept. Next point on the outline. We share our disconnect with this world with Christ. Now think about that. We're called to be like Jesus. But not just called to be like Jesus, we are in fact like Jesus in this very significant way. And we have the freedom and the opportunity to experience what it means to be here in the same way that Jesus experienced what it means to be here. And this was for him a priority. He was saying, I want you to think about this, meditate about this, I'm praying about this, the fact that you are in the world but not of it. And it makes me think that there must be something significant that he wants us to know, something that he wants to hear or us to hear about the fact that we are in it but not of it. And here are the kind of things that I think he wants us to understand. First, we change when we see ourselves as in the world but not of the world. We change when we see ourselves as in the world, but not of the world. And I don't know how often you think like this, but we need to think like this more often. If, if this was central to the prayer life of Christ, then it must be central to us. In the last couple of weeks, I've been sending out little emails. We've been talking a lot on Sunday mornings about what it means for us to be spiritual. What does it mean for us to be focused on Jesus? And some of you have written me notes and said, wow, it's just so great to be called to think for the couple first couple of minutes of the day about what it means to be Christian, what it means for us to be spiritual. Well, this makes sense. Because we change when we see ourselves as in the world, but not of the world. And if we have this spiritual perspective, we're going to be different people. Knowing Knowing that we are in the world but not of it changes, for example, our perspective of ourselves. Have you ever thought about how most issues in people's lives are self esteem related? Like you think of the people that you know that are what we would say, you know, we use words like they're messed up, they've got problems, they have issues. Or we say, those poor people, they're so broken. There are so many things that are going on in their lives. Now, sometimes it's of a very physical nature and somebody's sick or something like that. But so often, the things that we bring on ourselves, like an alcoholism problem, or a drug problem, or a social problem where we can't get along with anybody, those things so often, I think, are directly related to our self-perception. What we think of ourselves. An abuse, mistreatment, Not being loved, abandoned, even seeing ourselves as sinful or less successful than we want to be. All of those things influence us in very negative ways and they control our perceptions of who we are. Which means, I think, if we begin to think in terms of not of this world, but just in it for a while, that we have the chance to see ourselves differently. And who I am is not going to be controlled by the events that I've experienced. And what this world does to me isn't going to dominate who I am and how I live before God. Because I see myself differently than the way the world sees me. I know that I'm not of this world. I'm only here for a while. Last couple of days, uh, several leaders from our church and myself had a chance to go to a leadership summit that was uh, put on by Willow Creek. They do a big leadership summit every year, and it's sent by satellite. We went to First Alliance and had this experience, and we heard the story there and actually saw uh, live by satellite Wes Stafford speak, who is the president of Compassion International. And Stafford, as he spoke, didn't just preach the gospel or something, I say just, or just read scripture. He, in fact, told a story about his abuse as a missionary child growing up in Africa. And what had happened was that the denomination of which Stafford was part would... Send their missionaries to Africa, but they would send all of the children of the missionaries to a missionary school in one central location. And for nine months, these kids would be isolated from their parents at this boarding school. And what he experienced while he was at the boarding school and which virtually all the children at this particular boarding school experienced was gross injustice and abuse. And he describes this abuse in in detail in his talk and how horrific it was. He ends up actually being the one who makes known the abuse. They had scared the kids so badly that the children would not talk about it. They wouldn't tell their parents what had gone on. And Wes, as a 10-year-old, finally told his parents what had gone on and the whole uh, thing was blown open and people realized that this abuse was taking place. And there were uh, many, many kids who had gone through uh, for several years, being abused by these people. Well, he tells at the end of a book that he wrote about this experience, about the trials that went on, uh, like st- religious trials within the denominational uh, hierarchy concerning these missionaries and the way that they had abused these children. And then they, the, after the ordeal was over, there was a reunion that took place among the children who had been abused. And they had like over 200 now adults, showed up for the reunion and for these examinations of these people's lives that were taking place. So here they were all assembled for a period of days listening to these testimonies about the abuse, and then afterwards, these 200 people got together to discuss among themselves the abuse. So they talked about all of that. They sat down at tables and shared the abuse with one another and their stories and tried to find out where they were from. And, and there was so much pain and so much heartache. These people had gone through incredible ordeals. Some people had spent tens of thousands of dollars on therapy. Other people had completely left their faith. There was just so much damage that had been done with all of this abuse. So it came time for Sunday morning and they decided that they would have a worship service for all of these people who had been abused and who had come to these examinations, these trials and they were now reunited and they wanted to have a worship together. So they got together on Sunday morning to worship. They planned for about 200 to 250 or so people with their families. They assembled for worship and there were 10 Ten people came to the worship service on Sunday morning. Now, as I was reading through the book, I was ready for him to say, But the expectations were met with incredible numbers, and we had 500 instead of 250. But they had ten. The reason they had ten was because so many lives had been damaged by the missionary school that the students, now adults, had simply walked away from their faith. The world had bruised them so badly. And unfortunately, that's the way our world is. That's what our world does to us. That's the kind of world in which Jesus says, we live, we are in that kind of world. And West Stafford describes how these ten got together and worshipped the Lord, all looking around and recognizing the damage that had been done and the way that these others had not continued to worship God. And I would say that those ten were the ones who recognized that really they're not of this world. These are the ten who got it, who really were able to transcend their pain and their hurt and to have God minister to them in significant ways and to get a glimpse of what it means to not be in this, just in this world and not of it, but just in it. And so we have a chance also to have a perspective that says, yes, I'm in the world and there are tragedies here and there's heartache and pain and things that are horrible, but I am not of this world. And the pain that I experience here is not lasting. It will not be with me forever because I'm not of this world. We talked a moment ago about Drew Clark's Memorial Golf Tournament. You know, part of what happens when we think about Memorial is the fact that as we think about Drew, we recognize that Drew is not in some non-existent state. And your loved ones that have passed before you are not in some non-existent state. They are not of this world. They were in this world for a while and in so many cases experienced the tragedies of this world, but they are not in this world any longer because they weren't of this world. And they're now with Christ. They now are in a place where relationship with God is real. And they're not just alive. They're really alive. They're more alive. They're experiencing something that we don't experience. As long as we're in this world, we can't begin to know what they're experiencing. But because we're just in it and not of it, there is a time in the future when we're going to know, we're going to understand what it means to not be of this world and to be with God. It takes huge amounts of positive reinforcement to overcome all of these things that are negative in life that throws at us that destroy our self-esteems. But one of the things that can do it is our understand that we are not of this world. We're only in it for a while, and soon we'll be with God. Well, that changes some things. Look at your outline. Here are some things that it changes. It changes your motivation. There's a blank there. Your motivation for what you do is different. It changes your motivation. It changes your mental and intellectual preoccupation, which is now different. You know, guys are always thinking about sports, or they're thinking about work, or they're thinking about girls, or they're thinking about something. But there's a reorientation of our thinking that takes place when we begin to focus on Jesus. Um, I can have terminal cancer and it seems so tragic and it can dominate every thought it comes in and, and makes me think differently than I did before and that's the way our perception of not being of this world needs to change our thinking that we realize this total reorientation in thinking because we're not of this world your goals are different is the next blank what brings you lasting joy is different Your self-identification is different. You're not just a husband or a father or a carpenter or a stockbroker or a teacher. You're not even a citizen of this world, but a citizen of Christ. How you spend your money is different. And so all of these things about ourselves get changed as we recognize that we are in the world but not of it. We also begin to know that we're in the world but not of it and it changes our perspective about our world. Our world is not something to cling to. The words, you can't take it with you, are so true and they need to dominate us. The world is like shifting sands made up of things which moth and rust cannot destroy, Jesus says. But we so often are concerned about those things that moth and rust do destroy. So we start to have a different perspective on the things of this world. We even recognize that the earth itself is on loan to us and that we need to take care of it because it is. So there's an economic thing that changes in our heads when we recognize our world is different. And then, knowing that we're in the world but not of it, changes our perspective about other people. I don't know how you think of other people. There are some people, I think, for, for them, other people are a necessity to be tolerated. There are some people who just don't like other people. There are some people who find people tolerable, but they would rather be, Gary might say, with a horse. But ultimately, you know, I know Gary wouldn't really say that. And the reason why is because our perspective about what people are all about changes when we recognize that we're just in this world for a while and not actually of it. And people take on just a new character for us as we focus on who they are as God's creation. And so, for example, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Why is it that we can think in those terms about people? It's because we're going somewhere else. It's because we know that their ultimate value does not depend on their relationship with this world. But their ultimate value, just like your ultimate value, depends on their relationship with Christ. And so if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Well, what does that tell you about people who are not in Christ? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. But what about those who are not in Christ? Doesn't that mean that they are not new creations? And doesn't that mean that if we have this perspective and recognize that we're not of this world, that we want also for everyone around us to experience the uh, beauty of not being of this world and there's a motivation there there's a motivation to talk to people about Jesus there's a motivation for people around you to understand that you are only here for a while but not of this world because you recognize that they are a new creation only in Jesus and we don't want them to miss out on that and then Matthew 22:39, love your neighbor as yourself You talk about a new perspective What if you recognize about yourself that you are not of this world? What if you love yourself and think of yourself in those terms? It means that you're going to love your neighbor like that. And we're going to look at everyone differently, those around us, because we see that they also are not to be of this world. They need to know Christ. And we need to treat them as those that God loves and wants to be part of his world and not this one. And then finally, seeing that we're not part of this world but only in it for a while is the spiritual perspective we've been talking about and which Jesus wants so badly for us to have. That's a hard one. We live in the wealthiest culture there is on the face of the earth there is no culture in the history of humankind that has ever had what we have there is no culture that has been so fruitful as as ours even in a time of economic downturn we know that we still have more than what do we want to talk about 95% of the world's people we are absolutely so blessed and yet God still wants us to not be of this world and to recognize that we are only in it for a while. And so he constantly calls us to a a new, better, superior kind of spiritual perspective. And that's what we've been talking about for weeks. Is the need for us to refocus our thinking and see ourselves differently and to have that spiritual perspective as opposed to the perspective that says this world is my home because indeed it 's not we 're just passing through. I mentioned West Stafford when Stafford was ten years old. He was in New York City, getting ready to go back to Africa and he didn 't want to go. He had not told his parents anything yet about the abuse that had he 'd experienced along with the other kids. And as he was getting ready to get on his plane, the parents were going to go by boat, but they put the kids on a plane and sent them to the school early. And as he was getting ready to go, he grabbed his mother's face before he got on the plane and he said, I don't want to go. They beat me. And then immediately he was taken off and put on the plane. His mother was of course aghast she didn't know what to do she didn't know how to respond she ended up not being able to go on the mission because she was so distraught about what she had heard and it was going to be uh, weeks before she could do anything about that ultimately they did find out that this was going on at the school and it happened because Wes shared that with his mother But when the word first came down that there was an investigation going on about the school, Stafford was already at the school by himself and his parents were nowhere around and neither were any other parents. And so the teachers who found out that the investigation was going to take place began to step up their abuse. And Stafford tells the story of how one of the teachers in his class took a birthday candle and cut off the end that had no wick and made a wick on both ends of the candle. And the teacher then called Stafford up in front of the class. He's 10 years old, made him stand on a chair, and he lit both ends of the candle and made Stafford hold the birthday candle as the candle burned down. While this was happening, Stafford, who is of course, a kid, and who'd been experiencing now years of abuse starts to think in his mind about how he's going to respond to all of this. And he's furious and he's scared. And the candle begins to burn to his fingers, and eventually there are blisters that are appearing. There's incredible pain, but this little boy wouldn't let go of the candle. And eventually, one of the other students got up and knocked the candle out of his fingers and the teacher laughed. And Stafford describes how at that moment, standing on the chair as he's holding the candle, he decided that not only were they not going to get to him and they weren't going to dominate his life, but that he was going to devote his life to the care of other children who were disadvantaged and found themselves vulnerable. And so he is now, as I mentioned before, the president of Compassionate International. They feed and clothe and minister to millions of children all over the world. Well, he is one of those ten who came and worshipped in that Sunday morning when those who were abused got together as part of that reunion. What is it that has made things different for him? We've already seen how the self is so destroyed by the things that go uh, on around us. He could have easily turned out like one of those people, but he didn't. And it's all because somewhere in the midst of all of that, he came to the realization that he is not of this world. That there is something bigger and grander of which he is part And it dominates his thinking now. It controls what he does so that he can go and minister to other people in the ways that he should. And somehow, we've got to capture that picture of not being of this world and letting it dominate who we are. The only relationship that really counts in this world is the one that we have with Christ. Allowing its influence to come into all of our other relationships. We need to focus there. We need to let the spiritual realities dominate who we are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of knowing you, of seeing Jesus of understanding that we are not of this world. God, we know that we're here. We know that we're in this for a while. We know that we have a ministry here. But Father, help us to have our hearts, our minds set elsewhere. Help us turn our eyes to you. Help us look to you. Help us to let this spiritual reality dominate who we are. And Father, the things of the world that seek to take us away from that and capture our thinking for something other than your good. Help us, Father, to say no to that and to be dominated in ourselves by the spiritual reality that is you through your spirit. Thank you again for that example in Jesus. Help us to emulate Christ. Help us not to be of this world, but only in it for a while. Through Christ we pray. Amen.